safe, keep us. We have uh, started a series, uh, nine, nine weeks we've spent on it so far. We've been talking about the miracles of Jesus. <clears throat> and we've been looking at each miracle and trying to pull out something that we can learn, something we can apply. And uh, we talked about the first miracle, the wedding at Cana, and the idea was that Jesus turned the water into wine. And we talked about the idea that, that one of the lessons that we learn is that Jesus has the power to completely transform something. It went from something that water, which was very common, to something that was very, very precious and, and, and valued at that time, wine. And uh, we talked about the idea that God has the same thing in our lives. That God can take our lives and make something incredibly worthwhile and something very precious and very special out of it. Uh, we talked about the nobleman's son where Jesus kills him from a distance. And it was the idea that the disciples needed to know that because when Jesus was going to go, the disciples were going to be in a, in a quandary about, you know, what, what's going to happen now. And Jesus is teaching them the idea that, look, I don't have to be present to be at work. I can still work from a distance. We talked about the idea of uh, the man at Bethesda who had been um, infirm for 38 years and had really gotten to a point where there was no hope for him. And yet Jesus comes onto the scene and gives hope in a hopeless situation. We talked about the demonic that was healed and uh, the demon was cast out of him and the idea that you know, even the demons understand that Jesus has the authority. And that in our own lives, when, when we're questioning, should we listen to God or should we not, to learn that, you know what, even the demons understand that they should listen to him. Uh, we talked about um, the idea um, of, uh, uh, let's see, help me out. Give me another one. Uh, I got them written down. Uh, we talked about the idea of the leper, compassion. The idea that we show, that he shows compassion um, that, that were to show compassion because it was a culture in which everyone pushed the lepers aside. We talked about um, the idea of uh, Peter's mother-in-law and the idea of interceding and, and the, the disciples come alongside and saying, hey, look, we need to go help her. Uh, we talked about the idea of the fishes and the idea that, that even though it didn't seem reasonable to obey Christ, Peter still goes out and throws the net where Christ says and and God honors that. And we talked about the significance of obedience in our lives. And, and last week, um, we talked about um, the idea of the, 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 paral the paralyzed guy who he had four friends come and, 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 you know, this story that let him down through the roof and all of that. And the idea that, that in that whole story, there are no words spoken other than by Jesus. And the idea is Jesus is showing that, you know, when he says, which is easier, your, son, your sins be forgiven thee or take up your bed and walk, Jesus is basically saying, look, to show you that actions speak louder than words, let me show you, let me demonstrate to you what I've just done. And we talked about the significance for us that we need to be careful on what our actions are saying because people see our actions. And it's really important that our actions back up our words. And so we talked about that, la that last week. Um, this morning... Um, we're going to look at a, at a story in, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, let me set the background for you. This is another one of the Sabbath miracles. This, this particular miracle, if you go to the, the first uh, five verses in Luke 6, um, the, at this point in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees and the leaders and the Sadducees and the scribes, they're really out to get Jesus. And they are really trying to get him in trouble, trip him up. Um, they're, they're upset that people are following him. They don't like that, and so they're really after him. So the first five verses of Luke 6, which we're going to look at this morning, um, deal with, with, the, with the, um, the Pharisees are after the disciples. 
And that's the story where Jesus is walking through and they eat corn. They pick corn on the field on the, on the Sabbath. And they criticize the disciples and say, how come you're doing that? You can't do that. And then we're going to get into the story this morning where Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And, and the whole uh, context there is they're trying to trick up, trip up Jesus. And um, they really are starting to make a concerted effort to really undermine the ministry of Jesus. And, and they're upset and they're, they're trying to trick him. So um, these Luke chapter 6 in particular deals a lot with the Sabbath stuff. And so that's kind of the focus. So with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 6, and here's what it says. <clears throat> uh, let's see. On another Sabbath, the first, the first five verses talk about the Sabbath that they were picking corn, okay? And then it's Luke 6 moves to another Sabbath. And by the way, this, this same story is found in Matthew, and it's also found in Mark, so some of the things that I'm going to say are taken from those passages. You can, you can look at those later, too. It says, On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So in other words, they know this, this guy's there with the withered hand, and they know that Jesus is there, and they're looking to see if Jesus is going to do something about this. Um, and notice what it says. It says, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. So let's, let's make sure we understand the whole context of this thing, first of all. It's the Sabbath. Now, here's the problem that we run into with this story, is that if this was the temple area, a guy with a shriveled hand was not allowed in there. If it was a synagogue, there's a question as to whether or not a guy who had an infirmity was allowed there. So the question is, the first question you have to ask yourself is, why is this guy there? He may have been allowed in the synagogue, but normally not. Because anybody, again, the mindset of this culture said if you're sick, it's because of sin. So the last thing they want is somebody in the synagogue who's there as a sinner. The lepers, the crippled, the lame, they were, they were outcasts of society. They were pushed off to the side. So the fact that this man is in the synagogue, the fact that the Pharisees know he's in the in, in, the, in the meeting here on the Sabbath, and the fact that they know Jesus there, there are some people that actually believe they actually picked him to bring him to set Jesus up. Now, if that's true, that takes this thing to a whole new level. But they're sitting there thinking, what's he going to do? The man has a shriveled hand. Um... It, it is somehow deformed. And first of all, really, he probably shouldn't even have been allowed in the church. And yet, he is. And Jesus is there. So they're, 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 they're really trying to, if you will, set Jesus up to see what he is going to do. So Jesus is now in a quandary. What does he do? And notice what he does, because this is important. He brings the man forward. And he stands him in front of everybody, and he says, now stand there. 
Okay? Because what Jesus is going to do is he wants to show everybody, look, there's no trickery. There's no hocus-pocus thing going on here. I'm open. I'm honest. I'm not going to do this on the side. It's not like I'm going to walk by and pat him on the back and heal him as we're walking out so nobody knows that I healed somebody on the Sabbath. Jesus is going to make a statement here, and, and he's brilliant in the way Jesus handles this. Now, we don't know much about this man other than the passage in Matthew and, and Luke or in, or in Mark talk about the idea that he had a shriveled hand. Um, there are some apocryphal, we, we, we have a set of books. Um, there's actually two groupings of books outside of the Bible about this time. One of them is known as the apocryphal books. If you come from a Roman Catholic background, your Bible will have in between the Old Testament and New Testament a set of books known as the apocryphal books. Um, we don't count those as Protestants, but in the Catholic faith, they include those as Scripture. Um, and it's some fascinating reading. Okay? Um, we don't include it, but sometimes it helps when we can read some of that kind of stuff just to get an idea, like the, the book of the Maccabees, and it talks about some of the stuff that was going on. And I don't take it as Bible, but I, it does give me some insight. Um, in one of those books, this, this account is actually referred to. And it says that this guy was a stonemason and that he actually came to Jesus in the service and asked Jesus to heal his hand so he didn't have to become a beggar uh, because he would not have been able to do his job anymore. I don't know. It's just pure speculation. But to let you know what's out there, that's out there. Um, so we don't know. The Bible doesn't say what he did. The Bible just simply focuses on the fact that his hand was withered. right? And Jesus takes him and stands him in front of the people. Now, notice what happens next, and here's what it says. Then Jesus said to them, so picture this. Now, the guy standing in front, Jesus stands up, and he asks a question. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or evil, to save life or destroy it? Jesus says, guys, I've got a question for you. Is it right to do right on the Sabbath, or is that wrong? Now, Matthew's account says Jesus starts this out by, by telling the story of a man with one sheep. And in that story, he says, on the Sabbath, your tradition teaches that if a man has one sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, he's allowed to pull it out. So follow this now. Their tradition, their, their culture, their ritual, interpreted the Sabbath to say this. If you had one sheep and it fell into a pit, it was going to be a financial hardship for you. So in order for it to not be a financial hardship, you were allowed to work and pull that sheep out of the pit on the Sabbath. Even though it's a Sabbath, that's okay. And Jesus, in, the, in Matthew's account, starts with that story. And he says, does not your own tradition teach you that this is acceptable? In other words, follow this. You, can help, you, you say it's okay to help a guy for money reasons. Because he's only got one sheep. There's going to be an economic hardship. He can do it for that reason. Now he looks at him and says, what about me? Is it lawful for me to do good? On the Sabbath. Now, here's what their law taught. Their law taught that you could heal somebody if they were dying. 
In other words, if, if we're in the service and you have a heart attack, I, it would be allowed for me to do CPR on you because it's life-threatening. Anything short of that was against the law. Anything against, uh, so if you were, if you were just, um, you know, if, if, I don't want to get crude, but to give you an illustration, if you're sitting there throwing up, I can't help you. That would have been work. But if you die, I can help you. If you are choking to death and you're, I could do the Heimlich. If you have passed out and had a heart attack, I can give you CPR. But if you just start going ballistic and throwing up and being sick and stuff like that, I can't come over to help you because it's the Sabbath, and that would be work. That's how messed up the system was. And Jesus, understanding that, looks at these guys, and he goes, I got a question for you. Is it right to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? And now there's a great principle here, and this is what Jesus is driving at. And this is what we want to understand. He puts them in a box. Because, see, here's the problem. If they say we should not do good on the Sabbath, that goes against everything they teach, that you should always do good. Because they're going out to tell people, always do good, always do good, always do good, always do good. Oh, uh, what about on the Sabbath? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, now it's the Sabbath. And Jesus understands the, the conundrum with them. And so he says, so is it lawful to do good or not on the Sabbath? So if they say, yes, you can do good on the Sabbath, now they break their Sabbath rules. If they say no, then they break everything they've taught. And then Jesus drives it home even further when he says, is it good to do good or evil? To save life or to destroy life? He drives it really home hard to them. And then notice what he does, because this is brilliant it says he looked around at them because no one said anything because they knew no matter what we say we're in trouble so they just kept their mouth shut great advice for those of you who are married once in a while you get into those situations where no matter what you say is wrong keep your mouth shut you know the typical you know does this out you know your wife goes does this outfit make me look fat Look, there is no way you can answer that without getting in trouble, okay? Um, so you just don't say anything. Um, you just go, honey, it's your call, whatever. Um, I think you look beautiful no matter what you're in. Um, I, I just stay quiet. I just don't say anything. Uh, but that's the kind of thing. They're in trouble, so they keep their mouths shut. And then notice what he does. He looks around at them and says to the man, stretch out your hand. The guy takes his hand and stretches it out. And notice what it says. It says he did so and his hand was completely restored. And here's the beauty. Did Jesus touch him? No. What did Jesus do? Jesus used words to heal. And there's a tremendous truth in that in the power of God's word in our lives to heal and restore and do things. That's why it's so important that when we have issues, we go back to what does the Bible say. But Jesus simply uses words, and he says, stretch out your hand. Now, this even makes it more difficult for them. Here's why. 
if he healed with words, the only thing they can say is that his work was speaking words. And yet, that's what they did in the synagogue every time they met. So technically, even by their own system, he didn't work because he didn't touch him. He didn't do anything, but he did speak words. So they now are in, now they're trying to figure out, now what are we going to do with him? If he would have gone up and touched the guy, we could go, ah, see, he worked. But he just simply used words, and that's what we use on the Sabbath anyway. So if we accuse him of he shouldn't have used words, then everybody's going to say, well, yeah, but you use words, we don't get it. And so then notice what it says. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And they aggressively, from this point on, really, really focus in on trying to, to find a way. Because, see, they would have killed him here and there. In most of these instances, what you'll find is these people were so mad, they would have killed him. But they couldn't. Because Rome, Rome they, they could beat it, they could do all kinds of things, but they couldn't kill him because a, a capital crime, a crime for which someone lost their life, had to, be, had to have the rubber stamp of Rome. That's why Jesus and Pilate and the whole crucifixion thing. It had to have the stamp of Rome on it. Rome was the only one that could do that. You could not. And so they are aggressively trying to find something they can do to bring an accusation in order to be able to, to get rid of Jesus. So um, that's the story. Um, a couple of things, a couple of takeaways, a couple of lessons, I think, for us as we, as we talk about it. The focus is Jesus' question, is it, right to do, um, is it right to do good on the Sabbath or evil? In all the accounts, here's what you find. This is the chief principle of this whole story. You and I have an obligation to do good when we can do good. You see, Jesus' whole point is this man standing there, and you have the, I have the opportunity to heal him. I can help him. I know what your rules are, but I can help him today. But your rules say I can't. And my understanding is that I am always to do that which is right. I am always to do good when I can do good. And so Jesus' mindset is, I have an obligation to help that guy. Because I can help him today. I think that's a great principle for us. God is going to bring people into your path this week that you can help. For you to look the other way, for you to not help people that you can help, I'm going to go so far as to say as to do evil and to destroy life, not save it. That's the principle. The principle is that as, as God brings people into our lives this week that we can help, we need to help. That's why we're there. We're there to be able to help them. Now, I'm not talking about, okay, let, let, me, let me parenthesize this thing. I'm not talking about enabling somebody. There's a big difference. Sometimes you help somebody by not helping them. You know, that's part of the problem with our system, the way it is in our government, is that we don't help people. We enable them to keep doing what they're doing, which is not healthy or helpful. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you and I have the God-given opportunity to really help somebody who needs help, we have an obligation to help them. 
And be really, really careful about turning aside. Be really careful about not helping them. And you go, well, I'm busy. You know, in management, you know what they teach you? If you've got a project that you want done, you know who you find to do it? Somebody who's busy. Because they'll get it done. Because they'll get it done. I challenge you this week to start looking. It's like kind of like I talked about last week, the idea of mineral, that, that interruptions are ministry. I challenge you to stop, to stop looking at those situations as interruptions, but rather to realize they're opportunities for ministry, to help those people that you can help. And, and God has given you talents, gifts, abilities, resources, money. He's given you all kinds of things that you can use to help somebody else. And when those people come into your path, God has brought them into your path for you to do something about it. I think that's one of the great lessons. I think another great lesson in this story, you see it in the first five verses as well as these verses, is the whole Sabbath principle. We've lost that today. Um, we're not in the Old Testament. We're not in the, in the whole Sabbath, you know, the whole don't do anything on the Sabbath thing and all of that kind of thing. Um, but there is in the Bible... There is a Sabbath principle, okay, that I think we have gotten way, way, way away from. The Sabbath principle just simply says this. There's a rhythm to life. Six days God creates, one day God sets aside to rest and reflect and rejoice. There's a pattern to the seasons. Um, within nature itself, what does it do? It, it, it blooms in the spring, it, it does its thing in the summer, it does its thing in the fall, and then it rests during winter. Creation is geared with that pause in our music. Music is designed with rests. You know, sometime I'll have Juanita just come up and play a song with no rests. Okay? And you're like, can you do that even? Is that possible? But it doesn't sound like music, right? Um, <laughs> Bach. I call it heavy metal. But um, anyway, I mean... It's one of those things where music is designed with rests and pauses. Everything in life is designed that way, and yet we as human beings think that we can run 24-7 with no rest. Uh, there, uh, this week, I was reading it this morning, uh, Time Magazine has an article on there about the significance of sleep and what happens with our body physiologically when we're sleeping. And it talks about the, we're starting to understand that, that, as a culture, we have minimized sleep, and, and we are paying a price for it physically. Because that's the time that your cells do different things, and your, your bones do different things, and your joints, and your muscles, and your brain, and, and all those kinds of things. And they're saying, and when we deprive ourselves of it, physiologically, we pay a price for it. Why? Because we were designed a certain way. Our, our world is designed a certain way. And when you and I function outside of it, there's a price to be paid for that. And the Sabbath idea is one of those. What had happened is these people had gotten so focused on the don't work thing and made so many rules on the don't work thing that it got to the point that you couldn't even do good on the Sabbath. And when Jesus steps into the picture, Jesus comes in to say, no, 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 you guys have got this whole thing wrong. This is about a day of rest and reflection and rejoicing, and encouragement, and recharging. And this is a day that, should, that you should actually come off of 
and be recharged with to go into the next week. That's what the Sabbath, or I'm going to say Sunday, that's what Sunday should be. It should be a day where you get recharged emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, to be able to go through the rest of the week. And yet so many of us, what happens is we just add it, you know, it's like, okay, I didn't get all this stuff done this week, so I'm going to do this. Oh, I just thought of this. Kevin, Kevin, is Kevin here? Hey, can I use your, can I use your tree illustration? Awesome. Okay. I don't want to embarrass him, but it was great because he was, we were joking about this. You remember the storm that we had with all the trees and stuff like this? Um, Kevin told me later, he said, he said, you want to know the irony of this whole thing? When you went over to my house, when we went over to my house to clean up? He said, my daughters were, it was their birthday and they had a whole bunch of people coming over. So he said, so I didn't go to church Sunday because I wanted my yard cleaned up. He said, so I spent Sunday morning, instead of church, I spent it Sunday morning cleaning my yard all up. And then Sunday night happened. And none of that made any difference. He's like, it was a great reminder to me of what's really important, you know, of stuff like that. And it's like, but that is so true. We have, you know, we, we have so many things that we get pushed off. And so we come to Sunday, it's like, okay, I got to get this done. So I'm going to push aside this to do this. And then in reality, what happens is we realize this wasn't as important as this. I watch people do it all the time with fellowship. They get so busy, they don't have time to spend time with friends and build each other up and encourage each other. It happens every year. We do our little deal on Wednesday nights at our house. People stay way too late. People go, oh, I'm exhausted. I didn't realize it was this late. They come. They spend all of that time. They go home. They come back to on Sunday, and they go, we had so much fun. We need to do that more often. We miss doing that, but yet we, and the the phrase is this, we let the urgent set our schedule instead of the important. There's a little book years ago called uh, The Tyranny of the Urgent, and and that's what happens. So often you and I, we allow the uh, urgent things to go to the top of our list, not the important things, the urgent things, And, and that's a danger. Because your life needs, my life needs to be driven by what's important. And we have to say, you know what? This is important. This is what I need to do. And, and one of the things is, we've got to get back to that Sabbath principle. That idea of using that day, taking one day out of a week. It's like for me. Uh, if you think this is a day of rest, recharging, everything else for me, guess again. Um, you know, Sundays are, my wife will tell you, you know, Sundays, in the, in the, more, the older I get, the worse it gets. Um, Sundays, it's like, uh, by the afternoon, it's just like, I hit a wall and, and it's everything I can do to, to tell you my name. Um, honestly, it's, it's just this wall that I hit. So Sundays aren't my day, but you know what? I set my schedule so that I carve out some of those times when it's a time to recharge and refresh and, 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 and get the batteries charged to keep going. I don't want to call it my Sunday, but it's, it's my Sabbath. It's my, it's, my, it's my time to reflect on what God's doing and what God's teaching me. It's my time to recharge emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. Um, we all need that. Be careful about pushing that way aside. Uh, be careful about that. And then I, I, I think the last principle that, that is, is in this story is this idea that God wants soft hearts. 
Um, in some of the other accounts, you read that, that Jesus sees the hardness of their hearts. Um, it is easy for us to focus on the stuff and not the people. Um, some of you are, are old enough that you grew up in a generation where Christianity spent a lot of time focusing on the stuff. I came from a generation where we focused on what people wore to church, where we focused on how long their hair was, where we focused on all of those kinds of things. You know, did they go to movies? Did they dance? Did they drink? Did they smoke? Did they? De I'm not saying any of those things are right or wrong at this point. What I'm saying is we determined whether or not we could even deal with somebody by those things. Oh, well, if they have long hair, then we don't want them. You know, and we spent more time trying to get their hair cut than we did ministering to them, you know, or getting to wear the right thing to church. And we miss that. And I'm not saying that those things are not, don't have a place. But what I'm saying is we become so focused on the externals, we didn't see the person. And we missed ministering to a lot of people because we were so focused on that stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think that's true here. I haven't observed that, but we all have some of that in our background, many of us do. And it's easy for that to creep in. And if we're not careful, we'll be like those Pharisees who walk into this service and they're looking at Jesus and they're looking at a man with a shriveled hand and they don't see a man with a shriveled hand who needs help. They're walking in there to be critical to say, will Jesus heal him? And they miss the whole fact that, what do you mean, will Jesus heal him? He's got a shriveled hand. If you can heal him, heal him. If you can fix it, fix it. If you can help the guy, help the guy. And instead, they're looking back going, no, oh, we're going to be critical today. And that critical spirit will destroy you. You know, I'm not saying you don't have standards. I'm not saying that, we don't, we don't have biblical standards that we work towards. I'm not saying we throw holiness or righteousness out the window. You get to a church that wants to throw holiness and righteousness out the window, go to another one because that's not the one you want to be in. God is holy. God is righteous. God has standards, no question whatsoever. But God is also love. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God is kind. And they go together. They're not opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, the, 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 old, the old Puritans used to say there is a a loving holiness or a holy love. That's how they would put it together. And, and what happens is, and, and this is what I want to challenge us to, we have to look beyond the stuff to see the people. God wants a soft heart. And, and, and that's my challenge to you, is we're in a culture where sometimes we can't see the people, because we're too focused on the stuff. You know, um, you know, some of you, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get really jump on toes and stuff like this. Um, some of you are really committed to your political belief, and I'm committed to mine. But I don't see people in this church as Republican, Democrat, independent, purple party, green party, tea party. I, I don't see that. I see people. 
people who I want to love passionately God and follow the teachings of the Scripture. That's what I see. I look past that stuff. You want to pull me aside? You want to have some fun? We'll talk about why I believe what I believe and why you believe what you believe. But you know what? I, I really don't care. I, I want to see you as a person. Um, that's what's most important to me. Um, and sometimes we allow some of that stuff to shade everything else. You know? And some of you don't know this, but you go to p- church with people who are voting on the opposite side of the ticket. Oh, I know. I've, and when we get them right, they'll vote like me. Okay. You know, I know. I know how you think. I know how you think. That's okay. But don't let that be the way, the, the division between seeing them as a person. That's what the, the Pharisees had lost completely, the idea of seeing this man as a person who has a need. They saw the issue. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to heal him? He's going to help him. And Jesus refocuses back to the person and says, let me ask you something. I've got an opportunity to do good. Do I do it? Or not. And they got nothing to say. So Jesus says, let me show you what I'm going to do. Stick out your hand. Enough said, we're done. Service over, boys. Now go do whatever it is you need to do. But I'm going to see past all the stuff and your rules and your regulations and your rituals and all of your other stuff, and I'm going to see the person who has a need, and I'm going to reach out to meet the need. And Jesus helps the guy. So I think there's a great lesson for us. So my prayer for you this week is this. We're challenged to have soft hearts. We're challenged to respond and help the people that God puts into our world. And this week, help those people God created you to help. Let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, direct us. Lord, it's so easy sometimes to get caught up with our stuff. Lord, it's so easy for us to make mountains out of molehills it's so easy lord for us to bake big issues out of stuff that's so small but lord i thank you that to my knowledge lord i i think we're a place that sees past the stuff and we see people lord we don't ever want to minimize righteousness or holiness lord we want to be as righteous and as holy as you were and as you are God, we desire that. But, Lord, we have to also see the people and uh, not get too hung up on some of the stuff. So, Lord, help us to be able to do that. Lord, may we have soft hearts this week. Lord, may we have open eyes that when we see a friend or a coworker or somebody in need, that, Lord, you, you poke our hearts enough for us to say, you know what, I can help them and maybe I need to go try. Lord, use us this week. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. And Lord, may each of us use this day as a time to reflect and recharge. And may you be honored and glorified in our lives this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let